podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor Rogero. Marler, it finally happened. Oh, God. South Carolina named a starting quarterback. <laughs> they did. How about they did. it? How about Pretty it? Pretty awesome. Pretty yes. pumped about it. I was wrong. You were you were right on this one? No, I, I was I was officially wrong. I definitely said that I thought Helinski would win out. But then the more you, you kind of hear about what's been going on at camp and Ryan Helinski not necessarily being the same sort of system fit and having that skill set the way that Colin Hill does. Yeah. Okay, didn't intend on leading with the South Carolina quarterback battle. That's yeah. not necessarily what I was talking about when I said it actually happened. I am, of course, referring to something that we've talked about a lot on this podcast. Oh, man. And that you've is, talked about, I've yelled about. The Big Ten is returning to play. They decided that they want to get back into the sandbox after all, and they are not going to do a spring season. And instead, they will be starting on the weekend of October 24th. I actually, so the nine-game season, I actually really like the championship week idea, that whole deal. Credit Jim Harbaugh for that. I think the SEC should totally do that. But imagine that, that the Big Ten decides after the first weekend of Power Five competition that they are indeed going to have a season. It's official. It's not even just talk anymore. It's not talk about having momentum. It is actually happening. I'm thrilled that this is over. um, Oh, it's just beginning, my friend. I just, I'm saying I'm thrilled that this whole one foot in, one foot out, hokey pokey finally over with. I need to write that down. Um, it just, it, like, the, the Big Ten this entire time has been just a bane to my existence of, of like, well, we might play and then we might not play. And then, you know, when they're not going to play and, and just the high and mighty just pat themselves in the back. And, and I tell you what, I saw this all, like, all over Twitter yesterday. I'm not ready for them to pat themselves in the back about, like you saw a couple of the tweets like Darren Ravel saying like, this is great. You know, I'm so, so pumped. The Big Ten is back. His like, totally oh, unbiased yeah. opinion. Yep. Uh, I know, right? And Northwestern so it's like, grad. It's just, it's so funny. That it's like, you know, they're so happy that this, the Big Ten is back. And, um, and you know, it's, it's so great for those kids. It's, it's fantastic for those student athletes. For sure. it's, it's, it really is awesome. And, and I'm glad that, that that's happening for them. Except for the quarterback Tanner Morgan at Minnesota, I'm not happy for him. But it just everyone else is like, allowed to have his own opinion about making. He can have that a wrong decision. opinion if he wants. It should it should come back to haunt him because he's, the whole thing about they're the only conference that cares about their players. And now, what do you know? The Big Ten's gonna play football. We're they gonna must t- not care. We're gonna talk a whole lot about that. We have an interview coming up with Jerry McGee, the dad yeah. of Ryan McGee. Got a book coming out. You're definitely going to want to listen to that. We've got even a little bit of Uncle Chris later on. We've got mm-hmm. some some pr- predicting the SEC leaders and in individual stats this year that we're going to do. So this is a loaded, loaded podcast. Yeah. But before we get to all of those things, Marler, you know, I, I actually did not have Texas P for lunch today. And it was weird. Wow. It was weird. Yeah. Like sometimes, weird. sometimes when my wife makes too much of her lunch, but she has meal prep and all that stuff, you know, I'll end up by Thursday or Friday, I'm just eating her lunch, whatever, whatever yeah. she has. So it, it feels weird for me to take a break from Texas Pete. I, I can't say that I like it, but every once in a while it happens and it just makes you realize how important it really is to have that as a staple of your diet. Distance makes the the heart and the taste buds grow fonder. Amen. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I don't appreciate what you're doing. I don't like it. I don't like you breaking routine uh, one week from the season. So you better get your blank together. And I will. We, next week. When, yeah. Next week, we just were same outfits, same food for, for 
however many weeks are in a season this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, uh, you know, yesterday, listen, guys, there was a lot of heat being brought, not just on social media and not just uh, with like the Big Ten takes, but in the kitchen as well. And if you can't stand the peat, stay out of the kitchen. That's what I always say. Um, go to go. Get, I got several picks this week, by the way, from people sending me, and it was it was really cool to see because it wasn't just the normal Texas peat. All Texas Pete is great, Texas Pete, okay? Mm-hmm. But the Texas Pete wing sauce is just like in a class of its own. It's oh, so yeah. damn good. Um, and I had several people send me uh, pictures of that. So shout out to them, to those people. But also shout out to Texas Pete for keeping everything fresh, getting some new recipes. Go over to texaspeet.com. Check those out today. Uh, go join the Facebook group because we got some in there as well. Want to see your pictures. And make sure you are tagging us in the pictures with the hashtag sauce like you mean it. We want to see... All them grills, okay? Like, I don't call me Nelly, but I want to see them grills, okay? You can also call me Nelly because I love them. So, there's that. Make sure you go get some Texas Pete today. A six-pack, a 12-pack. Don't be lame and get a one-pack, okay? You don't want to show up to the party with a six-pack of, of beer. Show up with a six-pack of Texas Pete. There you go. Another reference I just realized. That's at least, what, 14 years old? I, all I remember was... Do the kids know Paul about Paul Wall? Wall? They have to. Right? What it do, baby. <laughs> just his intro when he came in and said, what it do, baby, is the Iceman Paul Wall. Um, I can keep going. But it, my favorite line is when he said, uh, there's more carrots in my grill than a salad. And also, call me George Foreman because I'm, I'm selling, selling everybody, everybody grills. grills. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What it do, baby. Oh. I'm gonna, you know what? From now on, when you say, I am Conor O'Gara. I am Chris. Or he is Chris Marler. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say that. What it do, baby? Please don't. <laughs> I won't. Yeah, that's a good point. That phrase died in 2006. <laughs> I don't think it was ever alive. But yeah, that's good. <laughs> so, we have talked about this subject a lot, and yeah, I don't want to necessarily go down some of the same roads, except to say that this was entirely about optics for the Big Ten, the timing yep. of it, everything that kind of went into this. I had a comparison for the Big Ten the other day. I've got another one today that I want to throw at you. I like it. This is Michael and Andy on the Christian Youth Group bus going down to Mexico. That episode of The Office, it's the christening episode. They they get on the bus to look all high and mighty, and uh, they they want to be viewed as selfless, and they're doing it because they want others to be like, wow, look at them, look at them. And then, you know, reality sets in about – 45 minutes later, they don't want to go down to Mexico and help Jessica get a, a school or a home or a hospital, whatever it is. And then quickly they say, we've got to get off this bus. Yeah. And then they find a way to stop the bus driver and they're like, all right, stop the dang bus. And then yeah. the the kid who jumps out at the very end is like, wait for me. That's the Pac-12. That's fair. Um, so I thought of a different example. Yours is better. You know, when you're broke and you want to get a cabana, and you, <laughs> so, no, so Deep what I was cut. thinking the other day, yeah, it's a callback from last episode. But I was thinking about today was what it reminded me of is when, when Michael comes in that one episode of The Office, and yes, all of our references are going to be for The Office. Obviously. When he comes in, he's like, Pam, I'm having a kid. <laughs> and he's like, she's like, what? He's like, I watched Oprah yesterday. She's like, wait, what is happening? And he's like, starts talking about how Angelina Jolie had, had like, like, uh, what do you call it? Adopt these kids. And she's like, you know, it takes sometimes like nine months to have one of these. And he makes the comment, he goes, I don't even know if I'm going to want a kid in nine months. He's like, you probably won't. That's how I feel about the Big Ten. Like, no, let's play football. But, I mean, it's going to be a long season. You're not even sure if you're going to want a season in, in nine weeks. I probably won't. Yeah. There you go. 
That's our, our topical references that are, again, we're, we're all just like in the, the 2000s, yeah. mid to late 2000s. What range. it do, baby? <laughs> <laughs> the Big Ten stood behind the development of the rapid testing. And, of course, their message initially when they made the decision to postpone fall was it's all about the science and the medical experts and what they're telling us. So you knew that if they were going to come back and do a complete and total 180, because don't get it twisted. That's what this is. It's a total 180. Total 180. You knew that they were just going to try and cite the rapid testing and say, look, here's what we can do now. Here's the reason why now we feel like we can have a season. Make no mention of the fact that, oh, by the way, Power 5 football is actually going on and they're making it happen and they're not necessarily dealing with massive spreads as a result of playing because they're testing all the time. And that's kind of the whole point of having these protocols in place in the first place. Mm-hmm. So the the restrictions in the guidelines, though, are crazy. I mean, crazy, crazy. 21-day quarantines for a positive test. 21 days if you test positive that you will be away from team activities. There's also a 5% threshold for your roster to be able to play in games. Now, why is that significant, you ask? 5%. It's like, all right, yeah, 5% of your roster's got COVID. I mean, sure, don't play, whatever. Josh Vitale, who covers Auburn, he brought up a really good point. Auburn had nine positive tests over the weekend. That's 7% of their team, they wouldn't be able to play in a situation like that. Whereas the SEC reportedly, and this was reported by, uh, I believe it was Pete the Mel who reported that the SEC is leaning towards these restrictions where you have to have at least 53 scholarship players. All right. So that's a whole lot different than what the big 10 is trying to do at at this point. We already know about the, the mandatory quarantines and stuff like that. So in other words, like this is going to be just because the big 10 is, is having this season, which is, Really a nine-game season, not not just an eight-game because they have the championship yeah. week. But this is going to be an absolute tightrope walk the entire way. And just because the Big Ten says they're having a season, they've now put in all of these things that make it seem like it's going to be nearly impossible for all of their contenders to be able to play their games on time. Because keep in mind, no bye weeks either. Because that's what they did, and they didn't wait until later in the year like the SEC, Big 12, and ACC were willing to do. Right. Yeah, um, the Big Ten sucks. I hate it. I, ha- I hate this conference so much. I, I like it. I, I know that, like, in the past when I would say this, it was like, yeah, Chris is being biased. He just hates the Big Ten. He hates the Big Ten. And it really was more of a joke. I passionately hate this conference right now. It's and, for and, real. And I think... It's for real. This hate is for real. And, and I really... I, I, I just... I'm so bothered by everything that happened with this. I'm so bothered from stuff that we talked about off air that we're not going to really get into, but like the, the, how everything with this was, was like used to people's advantage, like from all of, like from a media standpoint, yeah, agendas and like, you know, and, and, and it was all about optics, and, and I hate that word ever since you ruined it for me. I did. That word is like moist now mm-hmm. when I hear it. It's, 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 it's my bad. Like, yeah, yeah, I hate it. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. Um, uh, hold on a second. Anyway, so the whole thing is, I, I really am bothered by how they've gone about this whole thing and how it's, it's just like they kind of crept back in, like, by the way, we're playing in this whole BS, like rejoicing of like, yeah, the Big Ten is back. Like, why do we care? I just, I don't like, I, I honestly believe from what happened, I'm, I'm really am happy for these student athletes. I really am happy for their fans, even. 
I, I, I think full well they should have to sit out this season because of what they tried to do to college football. And I know that sounds extreme and, and whatever. Maybe like I'm overreacting. Maybe I am. But, but like this is one hill, at least for right now, I'm willing to die on the fact that you sat here and almost ruined an entire football season for everyone. Like, the, like one of the only reasons the, the Big Ten is playing, like, like one of, and there are multiple reasons why I think they are playing. One of the reasons is, like you've brought up, it's because they were able to watch other Power 5 teams play and be like, oh, man. Huge part like, of it. Huge. Huge part of it, yeah. And so I, I think that's fair. But, like, would we have seen that happen if the Big Ten was able to do what they initially intended to do, which was take away a full college football season for, from everybody? Like, we're going to play in the winter. What? Like, you're going to do what? Like, it's for player safety. Okay, so we're going to have two full football seasons in a 10-month in a span? The whole thing is just such BS. And, like, I hate I hate the fact that, like, we're now applauding these teams. We're like, yeah, man, they figured it out. They got it right. And, again, like, from a fan standpoint, from, like, the player standpoint, super happy for them. But from an administration standpoint, you deserve to be penalized from all this that you've pulled for the past several months. And, and, and telling people, like, you know what? Like we're gonna go about it the right way, and, and, and it's it's just it's so every single layer that you unwrap of it, it's like I'm sure that part of it is like they were worried about player safety. I fully believe they were worried more about like the the what do you call it? The um, I'm so mad I can barely even think of the word. What's the word? Like the legal responsibilities that are gonna happen basically of the liability from it, like of of what is gonna happen if something bad happens to a player, and, and I fully believe that. But like when you when you un like just take back the layers of it, it's like, well, man, well, you know, the Big Ten, they they're gonna play now, and and these they're they're gonna they're gonna make sure the testing is next level, and they were able to figure it out, and thank God for these medical experts, and it's like, screw y'all, screw your medical experts. Like it was a month and a half ago, you guys said that this was so dangerous because of myocarditis and everything else, and everyone else that was doing it was in the wrong. Everyone else was doing it in the wrong except yeah. for you, and then they proved they could do it. And you're like, oh yeah, we're gonna play. Like look, good for us. Like we we did it. Like screw y'all. Yeah, and as we were saying the other day, you know, Big Ten schools are actually in a, a worse situation now than they were when they made the decision right. to postpone. Like Maryland and Wisconsin had to shut down their athletics because of COVID outbreaks, and it's not necessarily been just about that. And so you're 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 going to hope for some sort of clear vision as to what this year can possibly right. look like from the jump. And once they get camp going and all that stuff, who knows what what all well, is going to unfold? But and real, real quick, here, here's the thing. Here's what this is what pisses me off because I know that a lot of people will probably think that I'm just on this like high horse and and are on the soapbox and mad at the Big Ten, which I am. But also like every single thing that we've seen about this decision has been I, I don't want to say politicized because of what happened yesterday. I want to say politicized from the Big Ten standpoint, from an actual political standpoint, from everything was was done for someone's agenda. Yeah, there, and there yeah, were several I different agree. agendas. And, I, and I'm not saying that about any political party. I want to be very clear when I say that. That is not about politics. I'm saying everyone had their own agenda from a media standpoint, from like a, a coaching standpoint, from the, the commissioner standpoint, everyone, right? And now it's it's coming back to like like – well, they're not going to play, and then we find out that like the Penn, the the Michigan um, cardiologist is like, well, I think these these numbers are actually inflated. Every single step of the way, it's been wrong. They've gotten it wrong, right? So every single step of the way, they have shown that they have not been working together. They've not been in some unified coalition to to figure this all out. But in the beginning of all this, they had the power in their hands and knew they had the power and thought they were doing this for their own vested interests to stop the entire season. And I just feel like that I the right and appropriate response is 
hey guys, you effed up. You got to sit this one out. That's all I know to tell you. Shout there are consequences to your actions. Shout out to that person who said that they're going to trust the medical experts at what schools again? Was that Michigan, Northwestern, Stanford, uh, Cal? I forgot the other ones. But all schools that are Big Ten and Pac-12, and now they're doing the exact same thing. So um, that that's good to know. Let, let's let's call it what it is, though. I think one of the factors, and I'm not saying like this is the factor, but I think it's a factor, and it kind of made the Big Ten realize, oh yeah, we don't want to be left out of this. Ohio State, the team that it has this year with Justin Fields in a draft-eligible year, is the best preseason team that the Big Ten has had since 2015 when that yeah. loaded Ohio State team came back, and obviously they disappointed and they had lost to Michigan State. But that's part of it, and the goal for the Big Ten this year is going to be simply have a 9-0 team make the playoff because who knows what that's what that would potentially look like yeah. if a Big Ten team went 8-1. I think a 9-0 Ohio State team would get in for the simple fact Without that doubt. we're talking about a team that's ranked higher than any SEC team coming into the coming into the season. I mean, there's right. Clemson, Ohio but State was considered that one, too. Isn't it interesting, too, that the, the whole part of this, and we heard this again going back to that Matt Hayes interview, which was, and, and don't, like, let's not forget this. I know where you're going with that this. Part of this whole thing with the SEC, yeah, part of this whole thing with the SEC was they wanted to force the hand of the SEC to play nine games. Mm -hmm. And now would you just go ahead and look at this <laughs> season because the Big Ten is playing less games than anyone. This is crazy. Like, yeah. I, can, I'm just going to say it, Connor, and I'm sorry, and we're going to bleep it out, but f these people, man. This is ridiculous. You can't, you can't do this to our sport. Sorry. I'm sorry I said it. I feel bad. I made eye contact with you when I said it. That's the first hard F-bomb you've dropped in a while, I, man. It just makes me so mad to th sit here and think that th this is my favorite thing in the world, okay? We should be three weeks deep in this thing right now, okay? Shout out to Ali and Queso. Shout out to Ali and Queso. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but they know. But I'm just saying, like, it, it just, it really... Everything you're trying to do, like, yeah, you know what? We're going to force the SEC to play nine conference games. And then you back out as soon as they announce the conference. Like, every single thing was a power move that you failed and you you got caught doing. And now you look at it and it's like, well, you know, here's the thing. Uh, we, we were going to play nine games. Everyone tried to play nine games, and you're going to play eight. Technically nine, but you're going to play eight games that matter to get to your Big Ten championship. It's a joke. So the question then becomes, for SEC fans, and I'm sure that there have been people who have listened to this podcast wondering if we were going to get to this, can a Big Ten team prevent the SEC from getting two teams into the playoff? And I think that there are really only a certain amount of scenarios in which that could really happen. Because I actually don't think that Wisconsin, if it ran the table, or in Iowa or something like that, even if it ran the table with less conference games, would be a lock to make the playoff. Just because yeah. then, the, then the narrative turns into, oh, well, the league is just really down this year if a Big Ten West team is going to come out of it. If you don't believe me, go back to 2015 when that yeah. basically exact scenario was unfolding with Iowa. So I kind of tend to think that like only Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan would probably have a chance so to the qualify. Big three. Yeah, and I, I feel like Wisconsin's been better than Michigan during the playoff era, so you can kind of call that what it is. At least Wisconsin's yeah. won multiple New Year's Six games, whereas Michigan has not at all won a single New Year's Six game in the playoff era. But I, I really kind of feel like those are the only three teams that can qualify. And, you know, even if Ohio State wins it all this year, the Big Ten brand in, in itself is, is going to take a hit. And there are going to be people that even if Ohio State runs the table, it's going to be a little bit like 2014 where there, there are going to be people who say, 
look, they didn't even deserve it in the first place. They didn't have to play right. X amount of games. And this is a, an asterisk season anyways. And they started late and blah, blah, blah. And to, to a certain extent, I think Big Ten fans would even agree with the, the notion that the Big Ten has done nothing but hurt itself for the last two yeah. months. Now, pl- if you're dis- a smart and rational, objective <laughs> fan, you would agree with that. Deciding, deciding to play football is, however, not on, on par with some of the tragedies that have unfolded in the Big Ten throughout Let's the 21st century. Let's talk about that. Christine Brennan. Whoa. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna not drop the f word again on this, but off air I would say it a million times over. This woman, this writer, this journalist, this this person, Christine Brennan. And if you guys missed it, if you were one of the few that didn't get blocked for responding to this, one kudos to you, everyone out there. Thank you for your service that did that did get blocked. Dropouts podcast. Shout out to you guys. Um, Christine Brennan comes out and, and calls it. First off, she called it the vaunted Big Ten, which was hilarious to yeah, me. Yeah, sure. And then then says something about how she, they stooped down. Basically, what, do you have the title in front of you? I don't. Okay, but basically, I, I mean, I could pull it up right now. But it was basically like she was talking about how the, the Big Ten had kind of stooped down to the level of the SEC and how it was, it, it was for the first time in a long time they had done something where they were making football – of like the priority above everything else. And she so, called it the darkest day for the Big she said, Ten. Hold on. So note the date. 9-16-20, the day the vaunted Big Ten became the SEC. It choked. It got First off, the SEC didn't choke, lady. Uh, it got scared. It sold its soul for football. My USA Today sports column on the darkest day in Big Ten history. If you are, if like, and this <sighs> is the issue I had with these people that were making these comments earlier in the year about how I'm going to trust I would trust the, the the doctors at Michigan and Stanford and so and so and it's just this whole look at the South, look at these backwards, backwards, you know, like moronic people and like less than educated people. We're it's just this whole academic. What was that? Oh, we've got a little thunder here in Florida. It <laughs> rains in Florida so, this time of year, in case you haven't heard. Apparently, so it's like this whole academic like just beating of the chest about how smart you guys are versus the SEC. And that's what really bothers me because it's like you're you're arguing over an intelligence factor when we're trying to get to the same end result. Exactly. And then you get and you got there last. You got there last. But for for the like, if you sit here and think that there are people in the media that that don't have a biased opinion. And I've honestly yesterday was such an eye-opening experience for me. I told you this off air. Yeah. It was it was very sad that I felt so naive in a lot of ways of what I was seeing happen like right before my eyes of like, you know. <sighs> Can I say the thing about the White House? Yeah, go ahead. Sure, for sure. I, I was very I got to be on a call with the White House staff going over how the how the White House kind of helped out or they, you know, their reporting of how they helped out with this Big Ten decision. And and like I'm not getting into the politics of that at all. Okay. It was amazing to be involved in that. It was it was it was unbelievable. I told you the other day, I was like three years ago, I was getting emails from like like for work, and I was like, hey, check hot schedule, see if you can pick up this Monday morning bar shift. Three years later, I'm getting emails from like the White House staff, like, "Hey, can you join in on this phone call?" I'm like, what "Yeah, glove. cool, man. What a glove, yeah, right?" So it's like, I, I'm, I was, it was really cool to see, and it was really cool to be a part of, and, and, you know, everyone has their own opinion and all that kind of stuff, and I totally respect that. What was amazing for me to see was kind of the agenda that people can go on, and I hate to say this for this one example, but I was in, I was in that call with someone else that works for USA Today Sports. He lives in Atlanta. I'm not going to say his name. Wayne Dolkin. And this guy came out with an article right afterwards that was totally different than how I took that meeting. It just was totally different. And it just kind of amazed me how 
how people really do have their own. I know I sound stupid and naive, but it's like I had no idea that people would really take these agendas and these these ideas and their opinions and narratives to, to really push them as far as they can. And I'm not talking about politics, but I am talking about the fact that somebody like Christine Brennan, who has a huge platform and is verified on Twitter and it works for USA Today and all USA these things. USA Today is in every hotel in America, basically. In America. I used to read it every Friday because I give you the gambling lines. Oh, and yeah. so like, so, so it, but saying it's the darkest day in Big Ten history, to have somebody that is, that is like renowned and, and like, you know, viewed it held like in, in some sort of esteem and level of esteem, for this person to say that, when you have literally, within the past decade, seen this program go through not one, but two, two separate stories of child molestation and sexual assault and things like that, like that rampant, like horrific tragedies. Larry Nasser and, and Jerry Sandusky here. were trending for all the wrong reasons as a direct result of this column. That was the most eye-opening thing of like, right. yeah, you know, you probably should have just worded it differently. because. I get or it. Or left that out. Yeah, I mean, like, you don't need to say that it's the darkest day. Like, playing football doesn't make it the, the darkest day. You can you yeah. can disagree with the decision. Like I said, like, I, I'm okay if people people want to have opinions. Like, we sort of differ on that. And I even, like, I'm yeah. okay if, like, somebody like Tanner Morgan Wait, wants what? to come out well, and I'm say. I'm not allowed to say that. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I, I think that people are going to have their opinions, blah, blah, blah. But, like, when you try and say that it's the darkest day, like, Okay, you need to you need to really understand, and that's why I I get frustrated, and we've talked about this a lot, and this has been kind of an ongoing theme throughout the last six seven months, yeah. is that we in this profession have been sort of accused of you know like oh we're rooting against football or we have our own yeah. agenda with this stuff like <laughs> this is kind of this is this stuff is at the root of why that yeah. starts, and it frustrates me because I know that's not the majority, and I know that there are a lot of people that would have. Seeing the events that unfolded yesterday, it would have had a much different viewpoint. And I, I just I, I get frustrated with that because that's not the type that if that's your takeaway, like I think you're in the wrong business. I really do. I think yeah. you should be I should think you should be writing about something else. I think you should be writing about a, a subject in which you're not asked to to say that this is the darkest day. And maybe maybe that was a headline change. I don't know. But my goodness, I, have sure. some sort of read the room on that one. My God. I, you know, like I'm all for exaggerating and embellishing stuff for the sake of it and, and, and for fun. Like, I mean, like I, again, we talked about this as a joke last week. I'm the one that said over and over from Nelly and Tim McGraw was the greatest song I'd ever heard in Which my life. Which we haven't proven that it's not the greatest that song is, of all time. Thank you, Connor. It's about time somebody said that. But no, but it's like, it's one of those things where I, I understand the dramatization and, and, and trying to entice readers and all that kind of stuff to grabby headlines i get it but it really pissed me off to see something like that when it was like i was telling ali about this last night and we're not going to get into the whole incident that happened but you're talking about four decades worth of 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 child molestation from a football coach and then when you knew about it and forced him out to retire part of the stipulation was that he was still allowed to have keys to the very rooms and, oh, and buildings I, where this I, I all happened. nauseous thinking about that stuff. It's, it, it's so frustrating. And then you have people that are in a job that is like, let's, let's say what it is. Like USA Today, that's a, that's a that, you know, use her word. That's a vaunted job in media. Ooh, I see what she did. And so it's, yeah, so it just really frustrated me. And yesterday was just, I'm just over the Big Ten. I'm, I'm over <laughs> social media a lot after yesterday. And, and you know, it like, it's just, it's just crazy to me, like you said, how 
how quickly these like narratives can be made from media members for one, but then also people responding to the media just as much where it's like, man, yesterday I learned a lot about myself that I didn't know about <laughs> like, that I was that I was told. Uh, and it was like, I was getting messages from my mom and she's like, what, what is happening? Why are people saying this about you? And I was like, I don't know, mom. I, like, I just, I had no, I, like, these are people that I've known for years telling me how much I had changed over a tweet and it's just craziness. So. So I feel like before we move on to the next subject, <laughs> which is a very, very different thing to talk about. SEC That's all for this year. Predictions. Let's move on. I think we should just collectively. <sighs> you know, I got the Apple Watch like three, four weeks ago. Sick brag yeah. anniversary present from my wife. Um, it tells you like to breathe probably about yeah. three times a day. And you can program that. To, to not have it say that, yeah. but I do find it's helpful every once in a while. And if we're going to transition from the subject matter that we were just talking about to what we are going to yeah. be talking about a whole lot less, you know, a little bit, little I bit different. Like Stanley. I feel like Stanley after the heart attack. <laughs> and it's just like, I think I need to lie down. <laughs> that is the, the third office reference in the first 28 minutes of this podcast. Hey, can we That's talk real right. quick though about the Pac-12? Pac-12 going to play? Or is that just... <laughs> I hope for the sake of Joe Moorhead that the Pac-12 gets to have some sort yeah. of a season. The Pac-12 being relevant and the playoff picture, <laughs> um, good luck. It was really it was really funny yesterday because on that call, which again, it was just like, it was just, it was, it was a really cool experience. It was a really cool experience to, to be a part of that. And then, um, but when somebody asked this question, it was like the most like timid question. He's like, uh, um, so, so is any is anyone gonna reach out to the Pac-12? And I was like, man, what are you talking about, dude? Like, screw the Pac-12. Um, so anyway, yeah. I, hopefully for Joe Moorhead and for the Oregon State Beavers, uh, they, Oregon State's got a projected first round draft pick, bro. Hey, or or something. Yeah, championship or bust, man. Yeah. <laughs> so I realized this this morning when I was putting together the list of SEC stat leaders. From this past season. Because if you go on the ESPN page.com, ESPN.com page for, for stats and stuff like that, yeah. and you see you can break it down by conference and stuff, and they'll have the leading rusher, leading receiver, leading passer, leading tackler, leading sacks, leader in interceptions for each conference if you want. You can break yeah. it up like that. So if it's amazing to think about where we were at this time last year and how it played mm-hmm. out, how different it was. The leading rusher in the SEC last year was Lynn Bowden, who was, at this time last year, a receiver. The leading receiver in the SEC was Jamar Chase, who the year before had 313 receiving yards. The leading passer (laughs) was a young fellow by the name of Joe Burrow, who a season earlier had 2,894 passing yards. Okay, but still, again, very, very off the radar. Two two games. He did. People forget that. Leading tackler. Jacob Phillips, who was probably actually the most legit person in terms of like preseason expectations compared to where he finished because he had at least had 87 tackles the year before. The leader in sacks was John Grenard, who, of course, had never played a game in the SEC before last year, and he was a grad transfer coming from Louisville. And then the leader in interceptions was, of course, Derek Stingley, who had never played a down of FBS football and was a true freshman. So that's my way of saying we're going to do some predictions here for who's going to lead those individual stat categories in the SEC. And chances are we're going to be really, really wrong. And that's okay. That's perfectly fine. Are you good with that? Sure with being wrong? Can you hear the click? I'm never wrong. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm wrong a lot. Can you hear the clicking going on? Because I'm already just. Love it. 
Uh, I'm ready to go. Tell me. I'm surprised I don't hear the papers shuffling. The <laughs> I'm trying to go digital, bro. There you go. You millennial. All right, you. leading rusher. Let's start. So, so Connor broke this down because he had to have parameters. I didn't have parameters with this. How dare so you? There's only six stats. You had to. You had to have returned. You had to have beat. You <laughs> cannot be left-handed. You also. Um, no, I'm just kidding. It's it's just leading rusher, receiver, passer, tackler, sacks, interceptions. I like this. I like this a lot. You had to have played at least two sports in high school. Um, you had to have been named homecoming king at least once. No, we're, yeah. not, we're not going with that. All right. Yeah. Leading rusher. I'm going to start basic. This is probably my most basic prediction of anyone on this list. I've got Najee Harris leading the SEC in rushing, but I do think Eric Gray will lead the SEC in carries for what that's Ooh. worth. I think that if you're going to lead the SEC in rushing, you need to be on a team who's going to be playing with a lead a lot, just like you would talk about for you know fantasy football yeah. or something like that. Last year... Post-September against Power 5 teams, Najee Harris averaged 117 rushing yards. It was really, really good down the stretch, especially we'll forget that. those last two games when he averaged 25 and a half carries with Mac Jones as the starting quarterback. Yeah. I think even with Trey Sanders, Najee Harris is going to have a really, really big year. And part of that is because that returning offensive line, which is headlined by the likes of Deontay Brown and Landon Dickerson and Alex Leatherwood, is going to be really really strong so basic yeah but Najee Harris leading the SEC in rushing Man. count it so let me be petty for a second and just say that this is a crazy pick because I from what I learned from a different podcast and a guy from Mississippi that knows everything I thought Kylan Hill was the best running back in the world and I love Kylan Hill to death but I just thought is that not I'm, you love I'm wrong him to here death I do I love him to death so here's what I'm gonna say instead I really want to say Eric Gray. I really, really want to say Eric Gray. I'm going to go Rakeem Boyd. I think it's going to be Rakeem Boyd or Eric Gray, and and I'm going to go with Boyd because of what he was able to do last year. And how come I can't? I think he ran for almost 1,200 yards at least um, behind that offensive. Six yards of carry. Six yards of carry. And he's going to be in an offense that has four four of five returning offensive linemen. Now, here's what I'll say about Gray. I I think Gray is going to be in a better position than than Rakeem Boyd necessarily because – Arkansas might be behind in exactly. a lot of games, might have to throw the ball a little bit more, and I, I totally get that. Excuse me. Ooh, that was gross. Um, but I also think that that um, Eric Gray, behind that revamped offensive line with Tennessee, mm-hmm. and especially with the fact that they're not going to have as much uh, as much on the outside in like the perimeter and stuff like that, like in the perimeter passing game at least, um, with, with Jerry Garitano, I think that in a year where – listen, Jeremy Pruitt is, is – a guy that is a defensive coach, right? He's a guy that that was under Jimbo, under under Saban for a long time. He's a defensive minded coach. I think his main goal is like we're not turning the football over. If you can run the football effectively, and I think Tennessee will be able to do that this year with a really good running back with Eric Gray. I'm, I would I would think he would have a very good chance. So I'm gonna say boy, just because the sheer numbers are so impressive, even from last year. But it's like a one A one B thing. I hedged on this one, I'll be honest. That's that's perfectly fine. I yeah. am uh, in a an all-SEC fantasy league. Yeah. Shout out to Todd Edward Garner, who listens to the pod and, and invited invited us to, to be able to, to join this all-SEC <laughs> fantasy league. I think I saw it, league. and I was like, there's no way Connor's going to do that. And, and then, you know what? So I, was, <laughs> I thought about it, and I'm like, you know what? An all-SEC league, I kind of like that. And it yeah. forces you to kind of think about some of these things from an individual statistic standpoint. And I had the fifth overall pick. And who did I take yeah. with the fifth overall pick? I took Rakeem Boyd. So yeah. I don't have any sort of problem with that. My team is good. It's really good. I tweeted it out the other yeah. day. It's, it's loaded. I'm Literally in a fantasy shit. football league with the pod mods. And um, 
and I got so distracted from watching Joe Burrow in that two minute drill on Sunday that I forgot to keep drafting, and I I came away with an A minus on my draft. I don't, I don't know how. I don't know how you're still drafting while there's games going on. I'm not even going to get into that. I just yeah, I was very surprised. I'll, All right, I'll say that. good to know. Yeah, leading receiver. This is a little bit a little bit off the radar here. Yeah, I don't understand this one. I went with Elijah Moore, the old Miss uh, fake dog. Peer, whatever you want to call him, <laughs> whatever you want to call him. Last year, 850 receiving yards in just 12 games. That offense ranked 12th in the SEC in pass attempts. I've brought this up before. Rich yeah. Rod's offense, not necessarily known for its passing. That's just not what they, they were doing. That's not what the personnel was necessarily there for. But Elijah Moore still made it work despite that and is one of the leaders yeah. in the SEC in terms of receiving yards and had way more production actually last year than, than George Pickens. People kind of forget that. At 5'9", just somebody who makes plays all over the field. So now, with Lane Kiffin, they are going to run a more balanced offense. And I've conceded that I think that Matt Corral is probably going to win the starting job, and they're going to throw more, and you're going to be right on that. You're going to be dead right on your prediction. Yeah. It won't— Wait, what? Yeah. you like that. Just, okay. Surprised you just kind of ignored that for a second. I was giving you praise. <laughs> it's not going to be a 2014 Amari Cooper like bump with Lane coming yeah. on board. Not saying that. Not saying that. But I think Elijah Moore is just someone who has shown in this league already that he can get separation, get separation lining up in the slot on the outside, catches balls just everywhere. And I think yeah. that with Lane running that offense, he is in for a huge year. They return so much production on the offensive side of the ball, especially at the skill players. Yeah. And if there are going to be teams that are loading up the box against Jerry and Ely and Snoop Connor, I think that bodes really, really well for him. I'm going to go in another direction here, Connor. I'm going to go with a guy who's also returning and had one less reception and 400 more receiving yards than Elijah Moore last year. And that is Devonta Smith from Alabama. Can we get a kind of shock? Devonta Smith. Let's get whatever, the man's name dude. Rights. Dude, he had 14 touchdowns, 1256 receiving yards yep. in a, in a year where he still had Jerry Judy on 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 his uh, what do you call it on his team. So I I, I think it's going to be Devonta Devonte Smith. Um, and I'll tell you what, a close second, and I honestly thought about putting him first. Um, Tyrell Shavers, and and I, I'm this is a kid. Who transferred from Bama uh, who to go to Mississippi State, and he's a he's a I think he's a he's a grad transfer, but he's six five and runs a four three eight. Like he's a big kid, he's a big kid, and he's going into a Mississippi State receiving core that isn't very strong. And I think that he can kind of become a guy. I don't know. I have not been paying attention to Mississippi State fall practice. I'll be honest. Um, I don't know where he is in the depth chart, but I think he's a guy that could be a big play threat for them. And they're going to throw the ball a thousand times a game, so I could see that as well, which is a perfect segue into. Who we both agree leading is a leading passer, KJ Costello. Yes. Um, can I? So, do you want to get into his stats, or like, can I ask a more important question? Go ahead. Who do you have second? I'm probably going Trask. That's a boring thing really? to say at this point. Over yeah. Mond? Yeah, I think just because I think what he's going to have to do a little bit more from a rushing standpoint, and especially now that we know Javon Austin is opted out yeah. for the season, and you're talking about. Four, his four top wide receivers from last year with Cameron Buckley out for the year as well. They've already lost two tight ends. I just worry about the pass catching options outside of Jalen Weidermeyer for yeah. Kellen Mond. And I realize they got some young talent, but it's different when it comes to getting separation in the SEC. 
So, yeah, I would probably put Trask at second there. The weapons are still so good. I think he's going to be better. I'm definitely in the pro-Trask camp. Yeah. And even if there is a little bit of regression when it comes to some of the turnover numbers, I think that he's going to be able to make more plays downfield. And I think they're going to want to trust him more to make some, some of those big-time throws. So, yeah, yeah, I would probably put him at two. Who would you have? Mac Jones. And this is not – This is and here, here's the only reason why. You look at that kid's numbers from last year, like, I really like Mond, and I really like Trask, and I think both of them can have a good year. From, like, an overall numbers standpoint, Mond, I think, is, is a guy that can put up a lot of numbers. I don't like the Osmond thing, him leaving. Like, like I, I, I don't like that. I still think Trask is going to have – I think he's going to have less less yards passing because I think that running game is going to be a lot better this Should season. be. Yep, good point. So I don't think he's going to have to – they're going to have to rely on that as much. I think he's going to be good. I just don't think he's going to have – they're going to have to rely on the passing game as much. So I, I really, really like Kellen Mond there. But Mac Jones led the country in yards per attempt. And I'm not saying that he's going to have the most touchdown passes, the most, you know, like like he's going to lead the world in, in completion percentage. I just think with the way that offense is, and especially with Waddle and Smith, and people talked about it all last year where you're talking about how um, you, you like all Tua does is throw slants and, and take him to the house. That – isn't really going to change that much this year when you have guys like Devonta Smith, Devonte Smith, and Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle's going to outrun stuff. everybody on the field. Jalen Waddle's going to outrun everybody on the field. So I just think that from a I, KJ Costello is that dude. Like he is going to lead whoever the quarterback is at Mississippi State. It's definitely not. Yeah, it's def, definitely not Garrett Schrader. I'll say that. Um, but it's, receiver. It's, <laughs> did you see the tweet? Somebody had it. It was like uh, other notable people that switched from quarterback to receiver: Julian Edelman. Blah, blah blah like it was like it might as well have said like Michael Jordan, Julian Wayne Gretzky. It was like like the dumbest like here let's pick from this like small batch of people that used to play quarterback at one point in our receivers. Anyway, Costello is going to lead the the SEC in passing. I think it is interesting to see who will finish second. I think it'll be between Mond and, and Jones just because of the way those two offenses are built. But you have it here in the notes too. I think it's a really good l- number, like kind of like a line. You think Costello has more than eight or eight hundred yards more than any other SEC quarterback passing wise, right? I think the, the the sheer volume of it, and I almost went with a thousand more yards, but then yeah. I thought in a ten game season, that's saying a hundred more yards every single game, and it'd be like mm-hmm. three an average of three hundred fifty yards compared to the second place person having an average of two hundred fifty yards or something like that. Right. Real quick on Mac Jones, the only reason that I I disagree with having him as like number two as a finisher is. I, I do think the leash is short. I think that we yep. do see Bryce Young at some point take over the starting job. And that's coming from someone who I, I'm high on Mac Jones. Look, I dra- drafted him to my fantasy team. Like I'm, you I think I'm, that Bryce Young is going to be the starter? I think at some point Bryce Young is going to wow. get his shot because I think the leash is short. I think Steve Sarkeesian really wants to see that dynamic play out this year. And if he can come back healthy. Now, if Bryce Young, obviously, if if he's not able to – I know he had set out uh, scrimmage. If he's not able to get back to, to full strength, that's that's a little bit yeah. of a different discussion there. But I, I like Mac Jones. I just have – that's my my reservation with, with penciling yeah. him in for something like that. Let's get to the fun stuff. Can I t- real quick on KJ Costello? Yeah. As, no. Because there are certain people that are going to hear that and they're going to be like, why would you just assume this guy who's never played a down of SEC football is going to lead the league in passing? It's a Mike Leach thing. It's 100% right? a Mike Leach no. thing. Um, it, in each of his last seven seasons, Leach's quarterback has finished in the top three in the Pac-12 in passing. His quarterback led the league in passing in three of the last four years. In the league, in the year that Leach's quarterback did not lead the Pac-12 in passing, 2017 with Luke Falk. Didn't lead the league in passing, but that's because Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold were in the conference. 
Didn't lead the league in passing in 2015 with Luke Falk either, but that's because Jared Goff was in the conference. Didn't do it in 2014. That's because Jared Goff and Marcus Mariota were in the conference. Kind of get what I'm saying here. Usually you're going to have, yeah. like, if there's, you know, number one it's overall draft or something. Yes, yeah. it's very much the system. And with that defense, I think they're going Tom to be Tom Brady thrilled. was a system QB. Exactly. Say People say it all the yeah. time. All right. Leading tackler. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crush this. I'm going to crush this real quick. You're so wrong. Henry to O to O. I, I did it. That's that's as is that, good as is that right. That is right. I've I've looked up the pronunciation. I've listened to, to the o, pronunciation. O, o. No 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 no. To O to O. To Henry O to O to O. To o, okay. to o. Okay. Got it. The Tennessee linebacker I think is going to lead the SEC in tackles. I'll go one step further. I think he's going to be the only SEC player to finish with a hundred plus tackles in this shortened season. So Nick Bolton dumb. is is definitely a candidate to do that. But you think about how how difficult that would be to to average that many tackles in just SEC games. Remember, you're not getting that 15 tackle game against Murray State or something like that. Those instincts were so good as a true freshman. I've said this so many times, but a true freshman leading a good defense in tackles does not happen often. It really doesn't. He this summer put on or took off rather. Took off some of the weight that he had last year. Was playing at about 235, but like was still kind of one of those guys where it's like, ah, he's got like maybe a little bit of that baby fat sort of thing. And the goal was to get really cut this offseason. And I don't know if you've seen some of the pictures. And dude is is yoked. The lean mass is absolutely there. And he dropped that weight because he wanted to be able to move a little bit better laterally. He wants to be able to cover better in space. And he wants to kind of be that prototypical modern middle linebacker. And I just think that what we've already seen from him, you've we've talked about him before. We're big Hank T fans. He's going to yeah. have some really big moments for this team. And I just kind of think that he is as real, uh, with the exception of Nick Bolton, that's about as reliable as a tackler as there is, as there is in this conference right now. Yeah. Um, Nick Bolton's the answer. Yeah, that's fair. Henry to a, Toe to O. So it's like toe, you're saying toe. toe. So it's like you're saying the word just like a, a toe on your foot. Toe yeah. to O. Sure. Um, regardless, the answer is uh, Nick Bolton. Nick Bolton is is incredible. And it's a guy that we've talked about. I, I had him at 1A and 1B almost as the best defensive players in the SEC. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about a kid that fills up a stat sheet. He scored a damn touchdown last year. He scored a touchdown. Like, that's not easy to do. Not a lot of people do that. Um, like, last year, he didn't lead the SEC in in tackles. He did lead in solo tackles and had literally 18 more than Jacob Phillips. So, Jacob Phillips led the SEC in tackles with 113, and that's all great. I think that's a, that's a great line. He did it in three more games to yep. get six total more tackles than Nick Bolton. Nick Bolton had 107 total tackles, averaged almost nine per game, and 74 of those are solo tackles. Now, to put that in perspective... That is 15 more than the second closest person. He also had an interception. I think he had multiple sacks, pass breakups, all those different things. Kids all over the field. I have him as a leading tackler in the conference. Have no problem Idiot. with that whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Well, you should. <laughs> so, <laughs> Leader in sacks. I have Zachary Carter, Florida defensive lineman. Ooh. Almost, almost, almost went with Boogie Watson, the Kentucky edge rusher, but I didn't. And I came back to this. <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> Someone in Todd Grantham's defense has been in the top two in the SEC in sacks each of the last three years. 2017, when he was at Mississippi State, Montez Sweat, first in the league in sacks. 
2018, Ja'Kai Polite. Remember him? Mm -hmm. He was second in the SEC in sacks. Last year, John Grenard, who was even banged up for part of the year and was in his first year in Todd Grantham's system, was the SEC's leader in sacks. So you look at that, the fact that Carter last year, seven and a half tackles for loss with only two starts. He's the exact same size as John Grenard also, which is kind of weird. Like they're both listed at 263 pounds. Um, The only hesitation I have with that is that I think we're going to see Carter play on the inside as well. Grantham kind of likes to move some of those guys around. Could see a lot of Jeremiah Moon, uh, Muhammad Diabate, and Brenton Cox are all going to be guys that are are going to be getting those TFLs as well. But, yeah, I I just kind of tend to think, yeah, you just got to point and pick and choose your guy from Grantham's defense at this point. Um. So I'm. Let's just incite a riot. Um. Because I. I think you're wrong. Oh. I think you're wrong. Um. I love. I love two guys from Georgia on this. And I. And and Jamar Watson, Boogie Watson from Kentucky was. That's who I originally picked. And I started thinking about this. And you like. I love what you said here about somebody finished first or second from Grant thing. Montez Sweat finished first overall, right? Who did he have else on that defensive line? Had Jeffrey Simmons. There you go. I mean, Montez Sweat, Sweat's a first-round pick. Like, the oh, without a doubt, because he ran a he ran a four-four-four, a four-four-one in the in the forty, uh, and he's six-five-two-sixty. I, I totally agree with that. Now, let me introduce you to someone else you may have heard of, Aziz Ajulari from UGA. You crushed Kid. that pronunciation. Attaboy. Thank you very much. Um, I love him and or Malik Herring off the edge in this in this defense. I think this defense is going to suffocate teams, as I've said over and over and over again. Now, I love the fact that you said somebody from Grantham's defense that's going to bring a lot of pressure. I just a lot of pressure. And and I think there's a lot to be said for that. Now, that being said, I don't think that they're going to lead the, the SEC in, in sacks as much as somebody from Georgia where you have, there's just so much talent, man. There's just so much talent on this, this, this roster, and I, I think that it's going to be a Georgia player because there's going to be so many people on that backfield. I think that somebody in those positions is what, who's going to end up being the the sack leader at the end of the year. Well, that's that's why I kind of wonder about that is that there are so many guys in that front seven with Nolan Smith and Kobe Dean, and we're talking about a, a group that just has dudes hey, on Nolan dudes. Nolan Smith is a backup. I, I know, but at the same time, like these guys are still going to be, they're still going to be playing. They're still going to be big parts of that. I don't know that, that Kirby's defense really yields that type of, that type of production in, in the sack department. It just doesn't. For whatever reason, like, mm. they get pressure in different sort of ways. They use a bigger sort of rotation. I'm looking this up right now because I want to say... You know you're wrong. No, I want to say that he, at Georgia, has not had somebody finish with double-digit sacks. 2015. Which, 2015. <laughs> you know who led the SEC in sacks? Which he wasn't at Georgia in 2015, though. He was at Bama. Right, Miles I'm saying Garrett. Georgia. Miles Garrett, 12 and a half. Jonathan Allen and Tim Williams had double-digit sacks. Right, which, yeah, I mean, but at the same time, it's like all these guys that he's had at Georgia. And yeah. and it, for whatever reason, like, that's just not necessarily something that that is prioritizing. That could be because of the snaps. It could be because of what they're asked to do in terms of the way that defense is built and some of the double yeah. teams that those guys take on. But that's just not necessarily been their M.O. I mean, I think it was... Was it 2018 that they were last in the SEC in sacks? Um, who, Bama? No, that Georgia was. I'm talking about Kirby Smart's oh, I don't know. defense. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. How about the fact that, like, I'm going through this year by year right now. Like, Jonathan Gennard, yeah, hats off to him. And I know he's injured 
but only nine and a half sacks, not even double digit sacks. It's the lowest they've had in the past decade in the SEC. It's kind of changed that position a, a little bit. You don't necessarily see the Derek Barnetts that you that you used to. Yeah. Where like I think teams just run that rotation a little bit more. You have more of your third down specialists. And you want to bring some of those guys in exclusively to rush off the edge, and as a result, you don't right. you don't always see the Josh Allen type type performances yeah. in a given year, and those guys who can just sort of do it all. It's a little bit specialized, but yeah, I mean, name of the game is being able to rush the passer. I just think that Agilary with five and a half as a freshman is just we're only going to build off that. Um, this is going to be an interesting one because you are obviously a Florida homer, and you said Whoa. your pick for interceptions was two. I can explain this. I went with Kyrie Elam. And okay. I am high on someone who, as a true freshman last year, had three interceptions. Pro Football Focus had him charted with an 18.3 passer rating when targeted. That's the best in the Power Five. He I'm allowed just five for Pro first Football downs. Focus numbers, man. There, there are some things that frustrate me. So I saw something yeah. about Bryce Purdy's catchable balls over the weekend that I was like, wait a minute, you mean to tell me that Bryce Purdy? Through all, every pass that he had was catchable. Like, there's no way. I watched that game. That's no. that's impossible to say. But whatever. Beside the point. Even if you don't believe that, we're talking about somebody who did that and became a very big part of that defense, despite the fact that he played just 310 snaps, five starts. They no longer have C.J. Henderson, of course. Yeah. And I wonder about as we talked about with Cole Kubelik, with some of these rush throws and that style and what it can potentially lead to for some of these ball hawking defensive backs, which. Kyrie Elam has those instincts. And I want to yeah. say that because I know, I know that there are LSU fans listening to this saying, how in the world are you not going to say Derek Stingley is going to lead the SEC in interceptions? I hear you loud and clear. But here's the thing. Get ready for it because nobody is throwing at Derek Stingley this year. And if they are, they're getting yeah. a long <laughs> talking to on the bench from their yeah. coach who said, hey, remember all week when I went on film and I circled that guy yeah. and I said, hey, don't throw at him because he runs better routes than our receivers. Don't throw at him because he's going to win those 50-50 battles. If you're throwing right. the ball to him, it's just a turnover and you may as well just come over back to the sideline. That's how good Derek Stingley is and that's how big yeah. and prolific he became in just one year. So I, I did these bold predictions for, you know, individuals in the SEC. And I almost did. I don't think that Derek Stingley will have multiple interceptions this year. I almost put that in there, but I think he ultimately will. I think that's... I was going to ask be, you, I wanted to do like an over under one and a half. I, it's a fair question because yeah. you're going to see it this year. And there are going to be people who are going to be like, oh, look at Derek Stingley. Like he's really falling off the face of the earth. He doesn't have all these interceptions, blah, blah, blah. Those like interceptions are, are such a small, small part of what it takes to be a good cover corner, especially in the SEC. So I think I, I don't think he's going to regress at all. I think he'll continue to get better. I just don't necessarily think those interception numbers are going to be there because he's going to get targeted way, way less. Okay. Um... Sure. Uh, I could see that. I, so, oh, I, I'm nervous here. Um, there's so many good options. There's so many good options. Like, do I want to say J.C. Horn, a guy that is... Doesn't have an interception. Never had a career interception. Never won. But is also locked down. Uh, there was a stat you gave out from Pro Football Focus that was like he had more catchable ball deflections uh, like per square inch of uh, that was night it. games. Yeah, that was I nailed it than any other player since the Eisenhower administration, and so that's like that stat alone tells yeah, you. It does. Um, I really I thought about doing like a little deep cut here, 
and saying Damani Richardson, Tyree uh, Gillespie. Gillespie. Yeah. Yeah, from Mizzou. And I, and I love the Tyree Gillespie pick, but those are two defenses that don't, didn't really get a lot of turnovers last year. So I'm going to take a step out here on a limb and say somebody who, I'll be honest, Connor, I'm going to need your help in figuring out if they're even playing football right now. Oh, I'm boy. pretty sure they are. Um, <laughs> but I'm just, this is somebody should have done my homework a little bit more here, and I'm, I'm like 98% confident they are. Bryce Thompson from Tennessee. Bryce Thompson's playing football this year. Bryce Thompson from Tennessee is going to lead the SEC in interceptions. Okay. Is there, I think that, that that defense, they turn, they, what? Is there anything more than, okay, continue, go ahead. Sorry. Tennessee's defense last year forced 15 interceptions. It was the third most in the conference. I think that, that says a lot. I mean, like, Bama had 17. I forgot who was second, but it was like, I mean, Tennessee, a Jerry Pruitt defense is going to be very opportunistic. They're going to try to put a lot of pressure and, and force people, especially from the defensive back standpoint, force your quarterback into making mistakes. I think they're going to do that a lot this season. I think he is going to be somebody that leads the SEC in interceptions. Uh, you know, and you can just tell I did a lot of research on it, and then I'll stand by it. You can stay out of Pruitt's doghouse. That's probably yeah. the biggest thing with Bryce Thompson. Okay, that's that's perfectly fair. I have no problem yep. with that. I thought you were going to rip me for because I'm a genius. <laughs> I thought you were going to rip me for not saying Stingley. Nobody like no. I'm as high like, on Stingley if, as anyone. I I honestly, if you throw us, if somebody he'll he'll have an interception. He's too good not to. Exactly. A, a but I'll, I'll tell you right now for sure. Here's a bold take for you. Derek Stingley will have more offensive touchdowns than he will defensive interceptions this season. Oh, yeah. I like <laughs> that. That's a little Charles Woodson. Okay. Yeah. I know. I saw um, those. I saw the, the reports about him getting snaps on offense. We'll see if that comes to fruition or if that's just a little wrinkle man. that that that's just kind of saved potentially so that Alabama's got to spend ten more minutes on something like that. Yeah. We'll see. I just I tell you right now, and like I, I just want to say, I'm really disappointed in our, our LSU source on this right now. And, and I'm, I'm going to call him out by name. Don't Mickey uh, Sheremy. Mickey Sheremy just had a kid. Don't call him out. Here's why, though. You know, he's like, he's like oh, by the way, I mean, he, t- he texted me yesterday, and I was like, hey, what's up, Mick? Congrats to Mickey, what's, by the what way. What news you Congrats. got? I'm about to say it. I'm about to say that. And he's like, <laughs> he's like you know, yeah, I'm going to tell you that, you know, I uh, heard, heard Stingley might be doing a little little offense. And I was like, you know, bro, I've already heard it. I've already heard it. You think you can just sit here and <laughs> lollygag because you had a kid, and now there's three Sheremies, or as I call them, Mickey Shera three. I just, you know, I'm just, I am, I'm bummed out. Like, I think he, like, being a father is important. Um, but at the same time, like, being, being, a, like, an inside source for me is important. And I feel like that's, like, that's more important. You know what I mean? It's just frustrating. That's all. Congratulations to Mickey Sheremy, <laughs> one of our favorite people. Um, on the podcast, it's a, a guy that we got to go to the game with last year at LSU and uh, and Auburn. Spent a lot of time with throughout the year and um, sent me the best bottle of bourbon I've ever had for a wedding that we never had. Which again, guys, if there's any advice I can give you, schedule a wedding, don't have it, you still get gifts. It's fantastic. So shout out Mickey Sheremy and his beautiful, lovely wife Emily and their new child, um, middle name Lane. How do you feel about that? I mean, he knows how I feel about. It. I told him off right. air. It's, it's something I can repeat. Okay, okay. something I can repeat. I, I want to drop another hard f bomb. Good to know. Good to <laughs> know. Kidding. All right, Marler, I, I and we're gonna have a little bit of Uncle Chris after our interview with yeah. Jerry McGee. But before we get to full Uncle Chris mode, whoop, whoop. that was loud. That was. Can you tell us about our friends at my bookie? It's winning season, guys. There's so many good seasons that are happening right now. Yesterday, I said this during our interview with Jerry McGee, and and this hurricane, it's terrible weather. We honestly, we should also say, I hope everyone's being safe out there, and, and yes. we're, you know, you're in our thoughts, as, especially in those in the affected areas. But let's get back to our friends at my bookie. It's not only hoodie season, 
football season. Most importantly, it's winning season, y'all. Get on over to MyBookie today, set up an account, be like your Uncle Chris, um, and get, God, I'm, I just, I, listen, I had so much fun playing poker for a long time. I'm so happy to be back to gambling on sports. It is amazing, Connor. And You're more your bookie, true self. You really are. I really am. Yeah. I feel alive again inside. And so, you know, we're going to get to my picks for this weekend later, but it's just, it feels so good to see three double-digit underdogs like last week from the college football ranks all win outright. And I can't wait to see what week three or week two or week one or whatever the hell week we're in right now has in store for us. I, I tell you what, it starts tonight with, well, started yesterday for yes. you guys listening, um, with Joey Burrow, and you can bet on NFL, you can bet on NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, and most importantly, college football. And I tell you what, when we get done with this interview, Uncle Chris is going to give you his week one SEC lock. Boom. Right, Wrap it up right now. Wow, more there than you a go. week in so Go to mybookie.com or mybookie.ag today. Use the promo code SCS. They will double your initial deposit. Make sure you do that, and let's get going. It's winning season, baby. Let's go. Little peel behind the onion. So uh, about like two weeks ago, Ryan McGee sends me a, a message and is like, hey, yeah. you should totally have my dad on your podcast. It's like, all right, that's that's a random thing to, to, to say. Like, you know, have somebody's dad on. And he's like, yeah, we got, we got our new book coming out. It's called Sidelines and Bloodlines. They wrote it as a family, Ryan, his brother Sam, and dad, yeah. Jerry. And Jerry McGee, as we found out from this interview, super interesting dude. Long time, awesome, right? <laughs> great, great dude. Longtime college football referee, former university president. The exact type of person that when I hear those jobs, I'm like, man, you should write a book. And you know what? That's he what did. he did. So let's go to our interview with Dr. Jerry McGee. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Jerry mm -hmm. McGee, the father of ESPN's Ryan McGee and Sam McGee as well. All of you teamed up and co-wrote the book, Sidelines and Bloodlines, documenting your family growing up in college football. The book is already out. And I should probably introduce you as Dr. Jerry McGee because you were a former university president. You're also a longtime college football referee. We're actually recording this on the day that the book comes out. I'll be honest, I think you're the first co-author that we've ever interviewed on the day that a book was released. So congratulations on that. How has your day been going with all of this going on? Well, it's really been great. I've had so many phone calls and uh, texts and emails from friends and uh, let me know their book came today. And then so many other friends who have seen those posts and have gotten excited about buying the book. So it, it's really been a, been a fun day for all of us. So many of our listeners know of your son's work from ESPN and on Marty, Marty and McGee on, ES, on uh, SEC Network. They've seen him on ESPN as well. I feel like Ryan's in a bunch of these 30 for 30s and stuff like that, too. I was exchanging messages with Ryan about a week ago, and I started to wonder, is it fair to say that you surrounding Ryan with college football makes you directly responsible for just all of his career accomplishments? Uh, oh, of course. No, but, <laughs> but, but uh, I, I, I do think that he acknowledges in the book that uh, I got him a sideline pass one day for a North Carolina at Virginia game, and uh, it turned out to be a pretty exciting day for him. And uh, he said he looked around at all the photographers and writers, and he thought, golly, I, I might can make a living doing this someday. I think he was maybe 12 or 13 at the time. But anyway, it was, uh, it was a great day for him, and I think kind of, 
that and other visits to press boxes and you know, and, and uh, stadiums around the country uh, whetted his appetite pretty good, I think. So uh, I, I'm from I'm from Atlanta. I'm from Stone Mountain, Georgia. My whole family on my dad's side is from Anniston, Alabama, and I, I'm not I'm not as country as Ryan, and I say that in a very positive way. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I did have a grandma that was go pick your own switch and that kind of thing um, type of type of raise. So I, I got to know, and I feel like I watch I watch Marty McGee on a lot of Saturday mornings, especially in the off season. And breakfast is the most important meal of the day. What is the ideal Southern breakfast for you? Oh man, that's 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 easy, and it's it's, it's been unchanged my entire life. It's uh, it's uh, two to three scrambled eggs with some grits and uh, uh, a little butter on those grits, maybe, and uh, some nice bacon and uh, and, and some uh, maybe a homemade biscuit or two. That, that'll, that'll usually Oof. get my day going pretty well. That tracks. That's good. That sounds good. We'll we'll throw in the Texas Pete plug in there as well. We'll just assume that's that's part of it. That's right. So in the book, you talk about some of the things that people would say to you as a ref, or vice versa, the things that you'd say to someone during a game. You, I saw that you chatted up Darth Vader, George Lucas at the Rose Bowl. I imagine that that's up there for craziest interactions that you've ever had. But what what is maybe besides those moments the the single most crazy interaction that you've had as a ref? Well, I, I think that one of the biggest surprises that I, that I ever had was uh, uh, the first football football that I personally ever owned was a Johnny Lujak autograph football, and it was uh, he was of course yeah. a Heisman Trophy winner at Notre Dame. And one day I was at Notre Dame, and I, I was walking through the hotel lobby, and a guy coming the other way smiled. He had on a nice sport coat and tie. And I looked at his name tag and said Johnny Lujak. And I walked a few steps and I turned around and I said, pardon me, are you really Johnny Lujak? And he said, yes, I am in the flesh. And we spent an hour just talking and reminiscing about college football. And then a few weeks later, I get a, a, a photograph of him from his playing days signed uh, uh, to my favorite college football referee, Johnny Lujak. And I thought that was one of the coolest <laughs> things. Ever. I mean, I, I'm just going to assume you called it. You called a fair game for Notre Dame that day, didn't you? <laughs> well, it was. It was a. Uh, it was. If I remember right, it was Michigan Notre Dame, and it wound up a seventeen seventeen tie. So yeah, I think it was a fair game for everybody. <laughs> uh, the holdback coach is is a thing now. Like it, it's such a, a a primary focus on some of these college football sidelines. I'm pretty sure Dabo's got one. I think. I've seen, I think even Brian Kelly has one as well. I, I don't feel like it was a thing during the the pre-playoff era, and you could speak to this better than I could. Who was someone who who got in your face a lot that probably could have used a holdback coach? Uh, well, m- most of them did have, and we called them, as officials, we called them get-back coaches. And the first thing mm-hmm. I would do was walk out on the field before the game and ask somebody, who is the get-back coach? And I'd go find him and introduce myself to him. But uh, but I, I think that uh, I think that probably uh, Joe Morrison when he was at South Carolina he could have probably used one. Uh, Tommy Bowden when he was at Clemson he he definitely needed Ooh. one. And uh, but it was uh but you know most most of the guys were were really great. They would they'd want to ask you about a play or something. But but 
Our conversations, 95% of the times, were, were very, very civil. I, I tell you what, it just, it like, they're outside. You said it's nice where you are right now. And, Connor, I don't know how the weather is in Florida. I'm in Atlanta, and there's, like, a tinge of, like, crisp fall air outside right now. And you just said Clemson with a P. And I'm, I just, my heart is so warm right now for college football season. I'm so fired up. Um, okay, so here's here's my question for you. You know, it, it is... SEC fans pride themselves on a lot, and sportsmanship is probably not on that list. So I got to know what fan base or, or stadium or, or coach gave you gave you the, the worst, giving you the business as, as a as a ref. Uh, well, you know, it's interesting because uh, almost every major venue in the South they would give you the business. Uh, I think yeah. the uh, but probably probably University of Tennessee where uh, where where Ryan wound up going to school, I think they probably, since there was a hundred thousand of them, uh, they they probably got your attention more than more than a lot of places. But but the the curious thing to me was uh, I, I went to the Northeast a lot to officiate too, and uh, up there nobody said anything. The the stands would fill up maybe by the third quarter, and they start filing <laughs> out early in the fourth quarter, and and the next day you you grab a newspaper to see if they're talking about the officials and. Hell, you couldn't even find the score of the game. And, I love and this. In, That's in so good. South, you know, the, <laughs> in the South, you, you, you walk in the hotel on Friday night and check in. They say, oh, you're one of the officials, aren't you? And it, it was kind of a, that's a, that's the nicest thing we heard all weekend. But, but <laughs> people in the South are just passionate about college football, and, and they should be. They're, they're the best. That's right. That's we'll just we'll, we'll clip that right there. We'll get we'll yeah. clip that. That's they're, they're the best. That's all you need to know. Most obscure thing that you have either been hit with or had to dodge going into the tunnel after a game. Oh, that's a great one. It's uh, uh we were leaving uh, Georgia Tech when they had a nondescript game. I think the score was 30, 31 to three or something, and I, and it was just a ho hum kind of a game. And we're leaving the stadium, and somebody stood up and threw an empty liquor bottle and hit the headlines and right in the forehead, and oh, uh, no. knocked him just knocked, knocked him flat. And uh, and we all are just stunned at first to make sure he was okay. And we got him in the locker room. Of course, I carried the liquor bottle with us in the locker room, and unfortunately, <laughs> it was empty. But but it was. Uh, <laughs> We, the, the guy that the guy that got hit was also an attorney, and so we tried to get him to sue, but he and get the stadium name for his father, but he never would do that. But but the the funniest thing that happened to me as far as something coming out of the stands was that we had a game at Boston College one night, and we had a, a second down pass play on my side of the field. There wasn't a defender within five yards of the receiver, but it was a bad pass, incomplete, and and a flag came out of the student section over my head onto the field and landed right on the spot. And the, and the referee comes down and he sees the flag and he says, hey, Jerry, what do you got? And I said, an incomplete pass. He said, well, why did you throw your flag? And I said, that flag came over my head from the stand. <laughs> it, it was so funny because I went over – I picked it up, went right in front of the student section. I took my flag out, and I looked at my flag and their flag, and I put both of them in my pocket and walked off. They, they, they got to make it up. That's awesome. I, 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 love, I love the student section. The student section was so much fun. What's, uh, what's the one rule that you would change about college football today? I think this uh, 
blindside block rule is completely complete idiocy. Yeah. The uh, I, I know it's, I know all the rule changes practically are about about player safety, but just uh, I mean I saw one on TV one one day the last weekend, and it was just a, a peel back block, and a guy was chasing the the, the quarterback and. Got hit as a perfectly legal block, except that the guy didn't see it coming. Well, hell, part of your job is to see blocks coming, and you can't. <laughs> I mean, you, it's a it's a contact sport, and I, and I think I think that's a terrible rule. I, I I just I think it's very punitive, very nice block, uh, not in the not in the back, not low, just a, a high block from the front. I, I just don't see that or side. I just don't see that as a foul. Still football. Got to be football yeah. at the end of the day. Tell us, uh, yeah, tell us about your time. Is... Slobber knocking, as they used to call it. Yeah, yeah a little crackback. <laughs> there we go. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Tell us uh, about your time as a university president. Did you ever deal with a crisis, anything close to like what we're dealing with now with a, a pandemic that's forcing all of these massive decisions to be made? No. In fact, uh I retired five years ago, and and I fussed about being retired for for the first four years of that. But the last last year, I, I, I've been so happy that I haven't had that responsibility. And and I, I have honestly, in a typical week, I'll have four or five college university presidents to call me just to want to talk through situations. And on one call last night at ten o'clock, I was sitting here watching TV, and he just you know was trying to deal. He had twelve or fourteen kids that, that had COVID, and was he handling it right or whatever? I listened to him, but but they're under they're under so much pressure anyway, and you know an impossible job to begin with. But but I think that maybe maybe where we're being a little bit unfair is I, I think that people think there's a universal fix for all this, and then there really isn't. You know the way the way you deal with this issue when you have thirty thousand students and and eight thousand employees. It's a lot different if you have than you, if you have twenty five hundred students and four hundred employees. So it's it's awfully hard to to each situation has to be handled separately and do the right thing for the individual schools. And it, it is it is a an impossible thing to deal with. And uh, you know you you got to keep everybody safe, but you've got to have some semblance of uh, of university and 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 its operation and. Uh, an educational process, so it really it, it's a it's a no win for for everybody, including the students, the parents, the the faculty, and the administration. Um, yeah, I mean, if I was a president, Mr. Or Dr. McGee, I, the one thing I would just be concerned about more than anything is just making sure there's a Chick Fil A on campus. That, and I feel mm-hmm. like that's probably why you were a better president than I would be, because that's where my a majority of my concern would have lied is right there. Um, I, so here's another question for you. I know the last game you had, the 2008 National Championship game. Um, right. Like a minute and a half into that game, Major Wright, Florida safety, uh, pretty much murdered someone on national television. I mean, just absolute decleater on the <laughs> sidelines and had this guy. I got to know. And, and listen, I remember watching the time, and it was awesome. It was awesome. Today's football a little bit different. Over under on how many seconds that that play he would have been he would have been ejected uh, in today's football. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was uh, fortunately that was on the other side of the field. Okay, but it's uh, and I but but yeah, he did really 
then that was a pretty violent play. And uh, <laughs> the time, the timing, uh, half a, a second here, a second there, was it before, was it earlier, later? You know, it's it was a tough one to have. And uh, when I saw it on the field, I thought, oh, boy, I'm so glad that's over there and not on my side of the field. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it, was a, it was a brutal hit. And I thought it was a tone setter for the game, quite frankly. And uh, But it was a uh, – that was a tough one. Wait, speaking of that game, did you call the penalty on Tebow when he on Tebow when he did the the Gator Chomp after the touchdown? <laughs> no, I didn't. But he he actually called it on himself because when you uh, when he did that, he he knew he was going to get flagged. But I think it was the only he says the only time he ever been flagged. I think in a, in a game. But but the uh, if he'd have been just a little bit more discreet about it, he might have gotten away with it. But but I thought when he was yeah. It was, it was so obvious with it. The, the plays, I had I had three plays in that game that turned out to be pretty darn big. One was the first touchdown for, for Florida when the receiver caught the ball on about the five or six-yard line and twisted his body somehow and broke the plane with the ball. And then, of course, the ball hit the ground and bounced out. But I'm standing on the goal line looking at that thinking, there is no way he could get that ball over the plane of the goal line. And somehow he did. It was just a remarkable athletic play. So I had that play, and then the last few seconds of the first half when Oklahoma was trying to score and it threw a ball into the end zone, and I think it was batted by four different players or five different players. Right. <laughs> and it was intercepted on about the half-yard line. And then the third play was the one – the score was 17-14, and uh, Oklahoma was driving to, to go ahead to perhaps win the game, and – a defensive back from Florida made an unbelievable strip of the ball from a receiver and uh, and hit the ground and bounced up and ran off the field and it was like, how did he get that ball? But he but he just it, it was perfect timing and but those three plays turned out to be really big in the game and fortunately uh, yeah we got we got them all right I think. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing to have both of the jobs that you've had. You're really good at making decisions in either one of the professions, those professions specifically that you had. What's the decision that you regret the most? As, as an official or as a, as a president? Either or. Well, I think that uh, I, I got in a nose-to-nose uh, confrontation with Dan Henning when he was the coach at Boston College. And I probably regret that more than anything because it was a uh, a, a call that a, another official on the field made. Coach Henning disagreed with it, and I was the closest guy. So he just unloaded on me for like five or six minutes during a TV timeout. I kept walking away, and he kept following me. And it, it just went on and on and on. And finally, I got so aggravated, I kind of got in his face too. And and looking back on that, I, I'd had a stressful week at work. He was having – he had just discovered he had a – a gambling issue with on his team, and so there was a. Both of us were having a bad week to begin with, but we we both I think we look back on that moment and, and regret it a little bit because I I think I did tell him if I if I was president of Boston College I would have fired his ass at halftime. I think it kind of how it He said some things to me, and I said some things to him, and so when our our supervisor jumped in my best when the game was over, about what we were talking about, I said, we were arguing about the best steakhouse in Pittsburgh. Leave me alone. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay. So I, I, this is my last one. It's just as, as a fan and it's, it's kind of similar. Um, 
And I'm sure you made some great calls. You sound you sound like an awesome dude, um, and would love to have some grits with you one day, and Ryan and all that good stuff. Uh, but but I got to know, there's got to be one, and I hope the answer is not involving an Iron Bowl or something else, or or, or a Bama game from my childhood. But worst worst call you you ever made. Uh, well, gosh, you know I have plenty to pick from, but. Uh, I- <laughs> I really think that uh, the one that gnawed at me for so long was uh, early in my officiating experience, I was able to do the Citrus Bowl. And Mm -hmm. uh, back in those days, there were only 14 bowl games. So only 84 officials in America got a bowl game. So you were were pretty happy when you got one. And we officiated very aggressively back in those days. We were out on the field and we were all – you know, if the play went to the other side of the field, I was out to almost midfield. We we officiated all over the top of the players. And uh, the BYU quarterback rolled out to the left, Robbie Bosco, and I kind of drifted across the field, and then he threw the ball back behind me. And then it was a race to the goal line between a wide receiver and me, so you know who won that. And um, <laughs> and and I was I was just out of position. And uh and uh, he stepped out of bounds on the uh, half-yard line, and I gave him a touchdown. And uh, he thinks it was a great call. Uh, it's actually in the book. He, he, <laughs> he, still has a, he still has a picture of the play. He thinks I'm the greatest official we ever lived. But uh, but the, everybody else watching the game did not feel that way. But it was uh, that was the one that got away from me. Do you, do you as, as an official, like what replay has become? Or is it something where you feel like refs – rely on it too much now and they're not decisive enough in the moment because I could definitely see that side of it as well. Yeah, and we, and we saw that coming. Those of us that grew up, you know, I officiated over 30 years without it. And and you learn to just, you know, work as a team and do the best you can on, on, on getting the call right. But, but now the officials that are officiating college football, all of them have had replay almost their entire lives. So if a player stepped out of bounds or didn't step out of bounds, they always rule he did not step out of bounds. Mm-hmm. If it's a catch or incomplete, they always rule it's a catch. If it's a, you know, and then, and they just, uh, they're officiating to the booth. And then right. sometimes the booth doesn't have a great look at it. So now you're stuck with whatever was called on the field. So I, I yeah, I think it's, uh, I'd like to see them be a little bit more decisive and, uh, move the game along a little bit more. Uh, it uh, Nobody likes to go to a football game where the game is dominated by the, the officials with penalties or long rulings and wrong, long replays, reviews. Uh, so just try to be as discreet as you can. Make the call as best you can. And if it needs to be reviewed, review it and go on. But, but geez, we get to the point where we want to review every play. Well, I mean mm-hmm. – we're going, to turn, we're going to turn a. We're trying to turn a three and a half hour game into a three hour game, but we're, instead we're turning it into a four hour game with all the standing around. So I, I, I don't like the way it's handled right now. Last question for me: uh, for those of us who haven't been able to do this, which I'm going to guess is like 99.9 percent of the people listening to this, <laughs> how how would you describe writing a book with your sons? Well, it was it was a great experience because we we laugh about it. Somebody asked us how long it took to write the book, and I said, "Well, thirty something years for me, because I was <laughs> jotting down stories and things for all those years." But, but both of my sons are at a point in their careers where they're really, really busy, and uh, uh, now that I've got some time on my hands, 
they don't have any time on theirs. So it's really hard for the three of us, though we live within 10 minutes of one another, it's hard for us to get together, just the three of us, and talk about life and football. And and this required us to do that. So it was really fun for me just to have time with my boys, and uh, which I don't I don't get very much anymore. So it was uh, it was really fun, and we laughed. And and if we had included all the stories in the book, the book would have been fifteen hundred pages long. So we couldn't do that, but we tried to pick out some of the more entertaining ones. But it was uh, it, it really was a great experience. And uh, now if people will just buy the book. We'll uh, we'll have completed the circle. <laughs> Everybody should definitely go pick it up. Sidelines and Bloodlines, it is available. Get on Amazon, wherever books are sold. Go buy that. Read about the McGee family. Such a unique situation. So cool to be able to hear about this. Jerry, really appreciate you coming on. And uh, best of luck with everything with the book. Thanks, and uh, I'll look forward to the show. Appreciate it. Take care. So, Marler, do you know what I realized? We can never have my dad on the podcast? Um... <laughs> I, just, I honestly, your words I always said to see how uncomfortable you would get, and I, I you, you handled a lot better than I thought you would. I'll be honest. Um, what did you realize? <laughs> I realized that our guy Sean Elliott, the coach of Georgia State, your Georgia State, he faces the raging Cajuns this weekend, and they so they're hot. I mean, what a 2020 yeah. debut! You know, it's only season ticket holders and family and students and, and the visiting team that are going to be in the crowd in Atlanta. But we need to sneak you in to be the holdback coach. I think we need to make that happen. I, so here's the thing. And, and like, I want to do it. I want to do it for him. I kind of want to get on over to, to Bobby Dodd. I was, okay. Is so, that bad? I think we can, I think we might be able to set both of those up. By the way, Georgia State, 17 point home dog. That's my lock of the week. Get out of your mind. Yeah. That's your lock of the week? Lock okay, the so week. here's here's what I would tell you. I, I love, you know, like I'm back to, back on my BS. I love these first half bets. I lo- Like get rich in the first half of games and then get even richer in the second half, y'all. And here's, here's what I'll tell you. What I've seen, and I think everyone can agree on this, what I've seen so far from college football is not been great early. Not great football early on. Can we agree on that? Sloppy. Georgia State hasn't played a game yet, right? Haven't played a game yet. Georgia State getting disrespected from the world. 17. 17. Let me tell you how disrespected these people are getting right now. Because I'm I'm on our friends, my bookie. I'm going to place bets on there. And what I like to also do, though, is, is get on a different website called Vegas Insider that gives these my bookie lines and then also gives you a little bit of insight into first half previews, mm. right? Because like the, the first half bets aren't out for my bookie yet. They give you a little bit of insight, what they might be, where some people are betting on. So I use a little bit of both, okay? I combine both of them. It's like a like a those rings from Captain Planet. Does that make sense? Mm-mm. Degenerate. Earth. Watch it. Doesn't play. Okay, my bad. Here's how disrespect they're getting. I'm I'm looking at Louisiana Lafayette, even though it's not the, the rebranding. Looking for them playing Georgia State. I don't even see Georgia State listen. You know what I see? I see Georgia Southern twice, Connor. Wow. State. State, not Southern. We, okay. Ten and a half points, first half. Take the ten and a half points, parlay it. Like, let's get weird. Parlay it with the under. The under is at 30. Buy a point, take it to 31 and a half. We know Sean Elliott's listening to the podcast. There's your Always. bulletin board material right there, man. Right Bro. there. Yeah. I'll tell I'll tell him. I'll, you know what? I'll text him. I'll text him in the morning of. There we hey, go. Hey, coach. Quick talk. Can we go to Waffle House for a second? Like, he'll say yes. Watch, We're best watch that line swing right after that. <laughs> 
<laughs> right after that. So I love that pick. And so I, we're going to go through my, my favorite picks, right? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so I've got that for one. Uh, number two. Number two. Um, Georgia Tech is a seven and a half point underdog against Central Florida. Most intriguing game of the week is UCF Georgia Tech. I am taking UCF. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm taking Georgia Tech plus seven and a half. Oh, no, flat out. No Mackenzie Milton for that one. It's the Dylan Gabriel yeah. show. A little southpaw. So I'm I'm going to take that. I think it's a good pick. I, I like that. Um, I'll tell you another one I really like. App State picked it up as of uh, late in that game, but Marshall getting some. They're getting points at home. I'm not going to make that a lock. Um, I, I, but I do like that. Uh, Tulane is only a seven-point favorite at home against Navy. I'll put that in a, in a parlay for sure and take the money line on it. Now, let's get down to brass tacks here, okay? Baylor-Houston. Baylor is a four-point favorite. Dave Aranda, debut. I kind of like Baylor with the money line on that as well. So if we're looking for actual – oh, by the way, here's here's your boy too. Liberty is a 14-point dog against Western Kentucky. Disrespectful. Malik Willis Isn't is going to put up eight touchdowns. Let me tell you, that that's going to be a route. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, so, like I said, going through some of these picks, I think there's, there's some decent action this weekend um, that you can get involved in. I, I'm going to take my, my lock of the week is Louisville at home against Miami. Mm. Louisville, it's a, yeah, people don't like that pick. You're wrong. Satterfield has this team that, like, I just, people people say, I heard somebody say earlier, like, the, it, was like a, it was on the TV show, the wrong team's favored. I'm like, no, no, they're not. You don't watch college football then because the wrong team is not favored. The right team is favored. Louisville's going to win that game. I'm going to take the money line because it's only minus 135. But also, take the two and a half points. I think they're going to win by three and definitely take them in the first half because I don't know if you saw what they did last week in the first half. I said it was one of my locks of the week when they had, uh, I think they were a seven-point favorite in the first half and they were up by 21 going into going into the locker room. So um, I love that pick. There's a couple other ones that I will release on Saturday as well. But I'm going to tell you right now, my lock and I said this back in July, all right? Maybe it was August, I don't know. My lock for week one, Alabama, Mizzou. I think the lines jumped a little bit. If you were smart like me, you got it 21 and a half. The 12 Mizzou players who will not be playing as a result of Woo! quarantine issues. I, I can't even call you a homer on that one. I can't, I can't, because it's just... I, I'm just telling you that they're gonna come out in my opinion, the, the, the first half has been not great for a lot of teams. I I don't know if Mizzou's going to score a point in that game. I don't. I, I, I think this defense, this team, like coming out like with a chip on their shoulder, is going to have a lot to prove. I think Bama wins that game somewhere around forty-two to seven, forty-two to nothing, something like that, forty-five to three. I I, I think it's I think it's gross. I, I think that, that, that I would take that. That's my lock of the week for next week. What? I just laughed. Why are you laughing? I, I laughed not not because of anything. So remember last year how I kept saying, I said for like three weeks leading up to the Tennessee opener against aforementioned Georgia State, Sean Elliott, another shout out. I kept saying, Jim Chaney flex game. Yeah. You know what this is. <laughs> yeah, you know what this Connor, is. Don't put, don't put your BS on me. Pete don't, Golding don't start. flex game. I hate you so much. I know you do. 
That defense is gonna be is gonna be really I, good. I but think so, so too. if we're looking if we're looking for you disagree? No, I said I think so too. I think oh. so too. Okay, so <laughs> I got pissed. So <laughs> if we're looking for if we're looking for locks for this week, here's who I like so far. I'm gonna jump all over Georgia State plus ten and a half first half of that game. I'm also gonna take Duke money line over Boston College. I think that's gonna be a bloodbath. Uh, people, I think Duke's a lot better than people are giving credit for after what defense I saw last is week. Good. Defense is good. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm taking. Listen, I'm taking Georgia State because I, I like I like our boy. Okay, I love I love Sean Elliott. Uh, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the hometown team. I tell you what I might do, Connor. I might I might get a little tease action on this and take Georgia Tech plus fourteen and a half, and then uh, Georgia State plus twenty four. Ride that out. Georgia Tech See how all the way up feels. to plus fourteen and a half. Wow. I mean, if I can tease it, yeah. If, if people don't like teasing, but I love it. Um, and, and then so more locks. I'm taking Duke money line, like I said, Louisville money line. Um, and then uh, the what do you call it for next week, Bama? So like I'm two two that I would risk, as I've always say, if we're getting on my bookie, if we're investing all of my fiance's money, okay, because she's the breadwinner. I'm taking Duke money line. I'm taking Louisville. Um, jump all over it like right now. Uh, that, that's what I would say. There you go. Yeah, Louisville is the is that that game. I I'm really looking forward to like first first game of ranked Power Five teams. This yeah. year, I bought all the Scott Satterfield stock this past offseason. I, I, there's none of it left. I bought all of it. Um, <laughs> Mikhail Cunningham <laughs> is the best quarterback that you've never heard of. I'll say that. A lot of people are going to be talking about De'Ara King, and rightfully yep. so. Very accomplished quarterback, of course. Uh, interested to see how he runs against that Louisville defense, which has had yep. some issues tackling, as Kentucky fans know very, very well. But Mikhail Cunningham, the best quarterback that you've never heard of. Remember that. Okay. Yeah, love it. All right. What is, this has been right. a lot of stuff. We went through a ton today. My goodness gracious. Um, the plan for next week is just loads and loads of game coverage. It's going to be great. Yeah. We're going to get to talk about actual week one lines. We're going to have updates on who's dealing with quarantine issues, who's dealing with injury issues. We're going to have starting quarterback battles that maybe we're going to find out some insight on. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. Maybe Clemson's going to lose to the Citadel. Let's get weird, 2020. God, how great would that be? It's what, what's what's the, the line that that they're not even spread on that. Never mind. Those I don't know, Connor. I took my I, I deleted all the stuff on my that was open. I'm ready to go eat. All right. <laughs> on that fine note, make sure you're following all of our content on social media. I, well, real quick, I was just thinking that like like people probably think it's like like the Ezekiel Elliott thing, like yeah, like feed me, like let's do more. No, like, no, I meant like actual food. Like I want food in my mouth. I might go to Waffle House again if the Jerry McGee interview. There you are. I think that that would inspire anyone to want to go to Waffle House. Make sure you're following all of our content on social media at SDS on Twitter. Also follow our at SEC Football account for all of your news updates at Vern Funquist at CJ O'Gara at the SDS pod. Make sure you follow us on Instagram Saturday down south. Make sure you follow us on Facebook. Join the Facebook group. Do all of those fun Bro, things. Let me say one more thing too. The fourth and wrong podcast. Cease and desist, bro. Cease and desist. They've got 13 followers, so whatever. They can do their thing. Well, they, he seems like a nice guy. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to follow or shame. I'm just trying to say that. Come on, man. Respect come the on. hustle. Uh, come up with a different name. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. All right. Marler, what do all we right, need to remember? All. It just means the all of it. Close enough. Damn it, Chris. Damn it. Talk to you.